Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Welcome to Wisdom Wednesdays, a little midweek dose of thoughts and reflections. I'm your host, Poppy Jamie, author and entrepreneur, passionate about stretching minds and perspectives to release you from the past and open your mind up to the unlimited possibilities that life offers each and every one of us if we care to look. If you like the Not Perfect podcast, please share, rate and comment as that really helps me grow this show to bring you even more inspiring guests weekly. On today's show, I have a global leading teacher on the nervous system. The wonderful Irene Leon teaches people around the world about how to work with the nervous system to transform trauma, heal the body and mind, and live their fullest, most creative life. Irene's online programs have reached thousands of people in over 90 countries. She has a master's degree in biomedical and health science and has extensively studied the field of somatic healing. I am so looking forward to speaking with Irene about the intricate details that involve our nervous system, as it's something that is actually quite under-discussed, given how important it is, especially when it comes to understanding mental health and how we can all live better, more peaceful, and of course, happier. What's a favorite quote you return to often and why? This is something I read when I was doing my master's degree in Australia, and it was, an, it was in an Einstein uh, book of essays. And so this is him quoting one of his peers. In this materialistic age of ours, the serious scientific workers are the only profoundly religious people. And I'm going to highlight serious, the serious scientific workers. And I just remember reading that when I was in academia. I'm not in academia anymore. I'm thinking, oh, I get it now. That's why some people are just, they'll live and die in their labs, discovering and looking for things. And I just thought it was absolutely perfect. What's a recent life lesson you've been reminded of? Just keeping things in the present moment. So part of the work I do, and we'll get into this, is being able to be in the present moment. So it's interesting that I should pick that because our mind and even our biology can zoom into the past very easily. And because of our higher brain, zoom into the future. And so one of the practices that is still, you know, I still work with it is like, okay, now, like what's happening now, as opposed to awfulizing or worrying or even projecting something that might happen that's good you know and it isn't to say that we can't dream and vision have vision boards and and all that but there's also something about the rawness of just being in the moment kind of chop wood carry water mentality so just like present moment what's happening now feeling that 
So simple and yes, so difficult. It's, it's a practice. <laughs> it's like a prayer every day, just right now. Let's feel it. <laughs> yeah. And how do you understand the soul? The way I understand it right now is it is our blueprint. You know, if you believe in the cosmos and everything is writ, but that doesn't mean we can't shift our trajectory. To me, the soul is what is always there. Would you call yourself a healer? Because obviously, formally, you very much work with the nervous system. Mm -hmm. But what resonates more with you? No, I don't call myself that. People try to call me that, and I always correct them. Mm. Um, I've had arguments with colleagues around that. (laughs) Um, (laughs) When I used to work with people, Poppy, more one-on-one, because I used to have a private practice where I would manually work with people's bones and movements and muscles, their organs, One could say that I was doing healing work, but the thing is, is that not everybody took in that work. Mm. Some people would leave and they just go right back to the way they were. And so in that instance, I'm not healing them. I was a catalyst for something to shift, but at the end of the day, their system and their way of engaging with that effect is whether or not they experience a little bit of healing, a lot of healing, or obviously none. So I would consider myself more an educator and a teacher, at least in the way that I work now. Whereas, you know, I've had many surgeries on my knees from injuries from my wild and crazy 20-year-old years ski racing. To me, my orthopedic surgeons, they were the healers. They were going in, replacing ligaments, fixing bone, making me be able to walk again. Of course, I had to then do the rehab, but he, they, were, he, they were putting together the parts. I think you touch upon a really vital point there, which is the desire of the person who wants to get better. And like no one can heal someone that doesn't have a huge desire within them to, to your point, do the rehab or, you know, go put everything in motion. So obviously you have taught millions of people around the world. And uh, to start off really simply, uh, what is the nervous system and why is that so important for us to know or understand better? So there's quite a few nervous systems. One is called the central nervous system and that's the brain and the spinal cord. So a lot of times when people talk about brain health and improving the brain, they're talking about the central nervous system and the the organ systems within that. And it's central, right? It's the center of the body. And then there's the peripheral nervous system. And the peripheral nervous system is all the nerves, all the pathways that come out of the brain and out of the spinal cord. And it's super easy to look up an image of that online. And you'll just see it's like these little tentacles coming out of the brain and spinal cord. And so the peripheral nervous system, there's two parts to it. One would be the autonomic nervous system, which is the fight, flight, and freeze. It's our survival mechanisms. And it's also the nervous system that goes to our organs, our hormonal secretors, our glands, um, our immune system. So it's like, I have some coffee here. I've been sipping it. I have some water. I don't have to think about that going through my digestion. It just happens. I don't have to think about insulin being secreted if I have something that has calories in it. And then the other part of the peripheral nervous system, which is actually what I work with most, but then it impacts the autonomic nervous system and the central nervous system is the sensory motor nervous system. So again, I have a cup of water, 
a cup of coffee. I can, you know, pick these up and you probably have something around you that you could pick up too. And that is happening because our brain is giving an instruction to tell the muscles to move the senses work. It's not scalding hot so I can pick it up, but I can tell that it's still warm because it was originally boiling water. So there's this motor sensory part of the peripheral nervous system that gives us the capacity to move through the world. And so those are the, in, in essence, the nervous systems, there isn't just one, there's many branches and they change by the minute, by the day, and they're different in a person based on their experience, based on their upbringing, and based on even how they think their outlook in life, right? So it's complicated and intricate, but very cool. So how do memories, and I guess that obviously brings also trauma, how do they become stuck in the body? What's their relationship with the nervous system? I don't think we really know where all the memories are stored, to be honest. I think the last time I lectured on this, my thesis was they are in the human experience and the human experience is vast. So I'll give you an example. Some memories are what we would call explicit or declarative. So for example, uh, tomorrow or later today, I can say when my husband said, what did you do this morning? I can say, oh, I had an interview with a lovely woman from the UK. She had blonde hair. It was dark outside by the time we got talking. She's got these interesting plates on the, the back of, you know, thing that I can see, something I might see in my grandma's house, but they're really cool looking. That's, de- I'm declaring what I am noticing. Whereas if a child who is pre-verbal, meaning under the age of three, they're not going to remember that Poppy was there and that you had blonde hair. They're just there hanging with me. There's no declarative memory at that moment. The reason I explain these things is when we have something bad and scary that happens to us, like let's say that three-year-old has an accident, like they break a leg, but all they feel is the pain the sensation. They don't remember that it was dark outside or that there were plates. And so let's just say that person, that child goes to the hospital, they get it fixed, it heals because kiddos heal really fast. But if there was any extra trauma, which I trust me there was, or there is in that situation, their bone, the force vectors, I'm getting a bit more complex here, but the fascia, the tissue, Mm -hmm. the pain, of it is trapped in the system, especially if the parent freaks out, doesn't know how to be with that infant in that moment. And so again, that infant might grow up to be totally functioning member of society, but then let's just say one day they're skiing on a ski hill and they fall and they break their ribs or they bruise their ribs, but it's nothing huge. And then as that happens, they start to get these sharp pains down their arm for no reason. Mm. It wasn't even that that got hit, but it's triggering an old memory of shock. Wow. So that is one example of an infinite number of examples of how we can store memory. So in that case, that would be a procedural memory. It's not um, declarative that three-year-old or two-year-old or one-year-old can't say, yeah, I was in the operating room and um, the nurse handled me poorly. 
they don't remember that, but they remember something wasn't right. This actually speaks to why sometimes you can get trapped in an emotion. It feels like you're trapped in emotion and you just don't know why. You're like, why am I still bothered? Your rational brain is going over and over again, knows why you shouldn't be bothered. But yet, for some reason, you are still reliving some sort of trauma that feels really difficult to navigate. Emotions are interesting, but they're not my main focus when I do my work with my students. We talk about them, you know, sadness, anger, joy, uh, disgust, surprise. But what happens when we actually start to investigate the body when we get back into the body is we realize that emotions stem from sensation. Mm. And sensation stems from the viscera, the organs, the tissues, the human experience. So if we, again, we think of that, I'll just use the baby example or the infant example, they will probably go into a bit of a shock state, just as I would if I was to break something really badly. That shock state, if you remember when I was talking about the peripheral nervous system, the fight, flight, freeze, it's going to put the physiology into a state of massive mayday, mayday, stuff's going down. We have to protect hard in that state. That baby isn't going to be laughing and having a lovely time. And they're going to be like, oh, something's not right. But they're not thinking it. It's their physiology. And so, like you said, you could be sitting there and then all of a sudden you feel this emotion that doesn't make sense. What I've learned is that as my students get better at feeling and being in their bodies somatically, the fancy word is interoception, the perception of the internal environment, they start to realize that emotions, I like to say, are neutral. They're actually very neutral when we know how to track them in our body. And this is a part of our human society, if you will, that just is starting to wake up. Like what? Anger isn't bad. Being sad isn't bad. Of course, clinical, there's clinical issues where you're spiraling and that's all you feel. But typically when that's occurring, say in the note of depression, for example, when you really look at a person physiologically, they are in what's called a shutdown response, a collapse response of the parasympathetic nervous system. They're like that baby that realizes no one's going to help them. So I better just turn all the, the, the signals off and just wait. And that's where that collapse of the body comes, that collapse of no one's going to help me. I better go into hibernation mode, essentially but that was a very long way to explain memories, <laughs> but they, they get stored. They definitely get stored in the body to wrap that up and how they express is so unique to each person based on their human experience and what they had to store. Makes so much sense. And, you know, we talk about that depression, about that feeling like, Oh, I'm on my own. No one's going to help me why you would collapse in. So what are the steps to healing this and, just being connected to the body may be really foreign for a lot of people because we've never really been taught relationship to the body unless it's this quite manufactured exercise narrative, which again, like sometimes can just, you just want to divorce yourself from it. So there's sort of four things. And of course I can't tell everyone all of the things within those four things, but they revolve around education, learning how to really listen to the biological impulses. I'll, I'll explain what that means in a second. Learning how to get into the moment, into the, uh, the environment that it's even here. 
and then learning how to work with the stress physiology. So the education, which is the first one is so important because we have this higher brain, the system wants to understand what's happening. So if you have uh, that example of the person who was skiing and they hurt their ribs, but then all of a sudden they're having these intense sensations come through their arm and all of a sudden they're feeling panic person might be like, I think I'm having a stroke. This doesn't make any sense. And I'll also say, yes, maybe that might be a medical emergency, but if the person is healthy and there's no signs that this is a stroke, for example, what's going on with all these sensations are coming through. If a person understands the theory deeply, they'll go with their higher brain go, Oh my gosh, I think this is something really old. Mm. This feels like an old trauma response coming through my bones. There can even be changes in, in skin temperature, um, color, a rash might come out, which is very common when we release stuff that's been held. And then the tears, the panic, the fear, you know, there might be a desire to scream. I want my mom. Where's my mom? It makes no sense. But if you think about that two-year-old that's now in a hospital bedroom alone, they want their mom or they want someone, usually it's their mother to comfort them. So by having the theory on board, we can actually really understand these strange and odd reactions of sensation. So um, education is the first thing. The second thing I used to call it following impulse. And now I'm kind of adding in biological impulse. So if we think back to that baby, that's not being tended to so if we didn't have um, the parent that came to us when we were crying because we were hungry and we're not being given that attunement as an adult, one of the things I teach my students is listen to your biological needs. So if you are needing to go to the, here in Canada, we would call it go to the bathroom, mm. go to the toilet, whatever. If you're feeling pressure in your bladder, why are you holding it in? If there's the capacity to go, my toilet's over there, right? If we think about animals in a pasture, like cows, cattle, they're not holding anything in, you know, birds on the, the electrical lines, they just poop whenever they want to. They're not thinking, hmm, I think I'm going to wait until I finish this email. Oh, I'm going to wait again and again. Okay, wait, I'll just do this one more thing. Meanwhile, there's pressure in the bladder. You're holding in muscles. You're not breathing because if you were to breathe deeply, you'd probably pee your pants. Interestingly enough, when a human can start to connect with those internal needs, mm. hunger is another one. I mean, so many people have trouble with eating properly or not eating enough or eating too much, you know, continuing to eat when they don't need the food. Um, that stems back so early to how we were fed. Were we fed when we were hungry? Were we over forced to eat when we weren't hungry? If you go into the wild, when those little bear cubs are hungry for milk, the mother isn't going to say, not now, <laughs> go mm -hmm. back to your room. You're not you're ready to eat yet. They just, the mother just lays there and lets them suckle. Mm. The person has trouble even burping or passing gas or listening to their hunger cues. When those traumatic sensations and memories start to come up, and again, I'm generalizing, but typically that person won't have the capacity to drive that massive old trauma response that has to come out. 
So where can people start? Like, would you suggest one of your courses? Would you suggest working one-on-one? How can people, and can people do it themselves really what are your thoughts on this? Yeah, it depends. It depends on so many factors. And again, this is where there isn't a one size fits all. However, if I think about when I was in private practice working with folk one on one, we were doing good work, but there wasn't anything else that they could do. So when I left the private practice, I kind of did an experiment. I was like, let's see if we give a whole group of people the same education. What I found is that for many people, they can do a lot of healing just with that alone. I have seen significant healing occur in these students who I have never, ever met ever. I don't know their histories. I only start to hear about them years later when they say, Hey, Irene, I got off my thyroid medication or Hey, Irene, like one recent student is a type one diabetic. So she needs insulin. Um, She still needs to take it, but she doesn't need as much all sorts of things because they're getting more connected with their essence. I guess you could say the soul. They're like, okay, this is what I'm supposed to do. I'm not being driven anymore by my survival physiology, that fight, flight, freeze. It's important when I need it, but for so many people, it's in their systems all the time. And it doesn't just shift on its own. That's the other thing that's tricky with this. I wish I could say this just heals with time, but it isn't like a cut on your finger mm-hmm. that eventually heals. Even if your immune system is rather depressed, you know, will still heal a little cut, mm-hmm. that kind of thing. Um, but this stuff needs a little bit more nuance just because we're so complex. This sounds so possible for everyone. Good. How can people find you and ask you questions and, you know, look further into your work in looking after and reconnecting with the nervous system? Yeah, um, just my name, irenelion.com, real simple. When you Google that, it should pop up. Amazing. Well, that sounds yeah. great. And I generally could interview you for another like 14 hours. Oh, I'm like, again. oh, I want to know about ancestral trauma. Blah, blah, blah. So anyway, mm-hmm. so hopefully we'll get you back on the podcast because yeah. there is just so much more, so much more to discover. Thank you for being such a wonderful educator. And it's been an honor to have you and truly insightful. So thank you so much, Irene. You're welcome. My pleasure. Thank you for listening. It would be a huge support if you wouldn't mind rating, subscribing and sharing this podcast. I also would love to hear from you. So please find me at Poppy Jamie on Instagram, DM me and I would love to hear your thoughts on any of the topics that we discuss. Download Happy Not Perfect, my app that's designed to boost your mood and help you sleep and give you mindfulness in less than five minutes. It's packed full of science-backed tools and rituals to give your mind the care it needs. Sending lots of love and energy. See you next time. Mom deserves the best and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.